Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 3 of True Detective Stories from the Archives of the Pinkertons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. True Detective Stories from the Archives of the Pinkertons by Cleveland Moffat. The Pollock Diamond Robbery. There were thirteen men in the smoker of a train on the Sioux City and Pacific Railroad when it drew out of Omaha at six o'clock on Friday evening, November 4, 1892, and started on its eastward run. Among these thirteen, sitting about halfway down the aisle, enjoying a good cigar, was Mr. W. G. Pollock of New York a travelling salesman for W. L. Pollock & Co., of the same city, dealers in diamonds. In the inside pocket of his vest, he carried $15,000 worth of uncut diamonds, while a leather satchel on the seat beside him contained a quantity of valuable stones and settings. On the front seat of the car, just behind the stove, sat a stolid-looking young man who would have passed for a farmer's lad. He seemed scarcely over twenty, having neither beard nor moustache, and a stranger would have put him down as a rather stupid, inoffensive fellow. Compared with Mr. Pollock, he was slighter in build, although an inch or so taller. As he sat there, staring at the stove, the passenger in the seat behind him, J. W. Shaw, an Omaha well-digger, a bluff, hearty man of social instincts, tried to draw him into conversation, but the young fellow only shook his head sulkily, and the well-digger relapsed into silence. Presently, as the train was approaching California Junction, the young man on the front seat rose and started down the aisle. Curiously enough, he now wore a full beard of black hair, five or six inches long. No one paid any attention to him until he stopped at Mr. Pollock's seat, drew a revolver, and said, loud enough for everyone in the car to hear him, "'Give me them diamonds.' Then, without waiting for a reply, he shifted the revolver to his left hand, drew a slung-shot from his coat-pocket, and struck Mr. Pollock over the head such a heavy blow that the bag of the slung-shot burst, and the shot itself fell to the floor. Then he said again, "'Give me them diamonds.' Realizing that the situation was desperate, Mr. Pollock took out his pocket-book and handed it to his assailant, saying, "'I have only a hundred dollars. Here it is.' Pushing back the pocket-book as if unworthy of his attention, the man coolly aimed his revolver at Mr. Pollock's right shoulder and fired. Then he aimed at the left shoulder and fired. Both bullets hit and were followed by two more, which went whizzing by the diamond merchant's head on either side, missing him, perhaps by accident, but probably by design, 
as the men were not three feet apart. By this, the other people in the car had disappeared under the seats like rats into their holes. To all intents and purposes, Mr. Pollock was alone with his assailant. The latter evidently knew where the diamonds were secreted, for, ripping open his victim's vest, he drew out the leather wallet in which they were enclosed, and stuffed it into his pocket. Wounded though he was, Mr. Pollock now grappled with the thief, who, using the butt of his revolver as a cudgel, brought down fearful blows on Pollock's head. The latter, however, getting into the aisle, fought the robber up and down the car, but a crushing blow at last laid him senseless on the floor. With perfect self-possession, and without hurry, the thief walked back down the aisle to Mr. Pollock's seat and took one of the two leather bags lying there, by mistake choosing, though, the one that did not contain the mounted diamonds. Then he went to the end of the car, pulled the bell-rope, and, as the train began to slacken its speed in response to this signal, jumped off the steps, rolled down a bank fifteen feet high, and disappeared. Sharing, apparently, in the general consternation and terror inspired by the young fellow, the conductor, instead of holding the train to pursue the thief, signalled the engineer to go ahead, and no effort was made for a capture until the train reached California Junction, several miles farther on. Meanwhile, the panic-stricken passengers recovered, at their leisure, their composure and their seats. Had but one of his fellow-travellers gone to the assistance of Mr. Pollock, the robber might easily have been overpowered. As it was, he all but murdered his man, plundered him of his diamonds, and escaped without the slightest interference. When his pistol was picked up, near the spot where he left the train, it was found that in the struggle the cylinder had caught, so that it would have been impossible to discharge the two chambers remaining loaded. Thus eleven able-bodied men were held in a state of abject terror by one slender lad, who at the last was practically unarmed. At California Junction, the wounded diamond merchant was carried from the train, and that same night taken back to Omaha. Mr. Pollock, being a member of the Jewelers Protective Union, a rich and powerful organization, established some years ago for the protection of jewelry salesmen against thieves, was entitled to its aid. When the detectives reached the scene of the robbery, the robber had vanished as completely as if he had been whisked off to another planet. To be sure, farmers in the neighborhood brought rumors of the stealing of horses, of a strange man sleeping in the woods, and of a desperate-looking character seen limping along the road. But all this came to nothing, except to establish, what seems probable, that the diamond thief had fled back to Omaha. A patient and exhaustive search in Omaha resulted in nothing. The man was gone, and the diamonds were gone. That was all anybody knew. What made the case more difficult was the uncertainty as to the robber's personal appearance, for some of the passengers testified to one thing and some to another. The black beard was a cause of confusion. Only one witness, besides Mr. Pollock, remembered that the man wore such a beard. Mr. Pollock, however, was positive as to this particular, and it seemed as if he ought to know. It was also impossible to decide, from conflicting statements, whether the robber had a moustache or not and whether it was dark or light in color. The fact is, the passengers had been so thoroughly frightened at the time of the assault that the credibility of their testimony was much to be questioned. Mr. Pollock reported that for several weeks previous to the robbery he had suspected that he was being followed. 
he also reported that on the day of the robbery he had been in the shop of the largest pawnbroker in omaha and that while he was there two noted western gamblers had entered the shop and been presented to him as possible customers he had made a trade of some diamonds with one of the men and in the course of the negotiations had shown his entire stock while the trade was in progress a negro on the premises had noticed lounging about the front of the shop a man in a slouch hat who suggested the robber from these circumstances it was decided that the robbery might be the work of an organized gang who had been waiting their opportunity for many days and had selected one of their number to do the actual deed all his life it had been mr pinkerton's business to study criminals and understand their natures he knew that a crime like this one was much beyond the power of an ordinary criminal let a robber be ever so greedy of gold reckless of human life and indifferent to consequences he would still think many times before declaring war to the death upon twelve men in a narrow car on a swiftly moving train this was surely no novice in crime reasoned mr pinkerton but a man whose record would already show deeds of the greatest daring a brave fellow though a bad one and even among the well-known experienced criminals there must be very few who were capable of this deed mr pinkerton therefore set himself to studying the bureau's records and rogues gallery to first pick out these few page after page of photographs were turned on drawer after drawer of records was searched through and at last a dozen or more men were decided upon as sufficiently preeminent to merit consideration in connection with the present case photographs of these dozen or so were speedily struck off and submitted by the detectives to all the men who had been in the smoking car at the time of the robbery to the conductor of the train and the trainmen to other passengers to farmers and others who might have seen the robber while making his escape and to various people in omaha the result was startling conductor d m ashmore without hesitation selected from the dozen or more portraits one as that of the robber mr shaw the omaha well digger who had sat just behind the robber selected the same photograph and was positive it pictured the man he had tried to talk to other passengers also picked out this photograph as did various persons who had caught sight of the man as he escaped the portrait thus chosen by common accord was that of frank bruce one of the most desperate burglars of the younger generation in the country and it seemed only necessary now to find bruce to have the problem solved many days were spent and hundreds of dollars in searching for him dozens of cities were visited and every conceivable effort made to get on his track but it was not until his pursuers were almost weary of the chase that he was finally discovered living quietly in chicago on cottage grove avenue near thirty-sixth street where he was operating with another high-class burglar billy boyce requisition papers were at once procured from the governor of iowa on the governor of illinois and men were sent to take bruce into custody when the shadows reported that he and boyce had left for milwaukee where of course the requisition papers were valueless fortunately that same night they attempted a burglary in milwaukee for which they were arrested and held for ninety days this gave the chicago detectives abundant time to identify bruce as the missing robber mr pinkerton himself went at once to milwaukee saw bruce in the jail heard his story verified its essential facts and within two days to his own complete disappointment